Everybody, morning. There was a, um, a guy and he walked, walks into a bar and wants a drink, sits down and, and all of a sudden he hears somebody say, hey man, nice tie. And he's looking around and he doesn't see anybody who said that. So he, he goes back to what he's doing. He looks around and somebody says, hey, nice suit. He's looking around, he doesn't see anybody. And then finally he hears somebody say, hey man, nice hair. And he waves the bartender. He says, come here for a minute. He, uh, are you saying stuff to me? And the bartender says, oh, no, no, it's not me. It's the complimentary peanuts. <laughs> don't shake your head. Don't you? No, you don't. Don't you do that. My wife already told me how lame it is. Trust me, I know. I know when I'm telling a bad joke. So whether it's peanuts or, you know, when Butch is up here complimenting us and, and everything, it's, it's humbling. Uh, thank you for your, your love for us, and, and we love you too. And uh, thank you very much for that. <laughs> I want to start with a quick quote. J.R. Miller said this. He said, there have been meetings of only a moment which have left impressions for life, for eternity. No one can understand this mysterious thing we call influence. Yet, every one of us continually exerts influence, either to heal, to bless, to leave marks of beauty, or to wound, to hurt, to poison, to stain other lives. Um, I've had a series since last night, I've had a series of events that have unfolded in my life that uh, led Nicole to say to me this morning, you know, Brad, Satan did not want you here today. And as I reflected on that a little bit, I thought, usually that's a sign that God is up to something. And Joel introed very, very wonderfully a story about Moses, and that's what we're going to be looking at is Exodus chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn with me to Exodus 4. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you. But I want to talk to you this morning real quickly, just briefly, about your influence. We're starting a brand new series this morning called Tag, You're It. And we're going to talk about whenever it's your turn to take the lead, when it's your time to exert influence. So I'm going to ask you to do three things this morning with your influence. I'm going to ask you to recognize it, to exercise it and to maximize it. All right, we're going to talk about that. Now, what is influence? Well, inf Webster says influence is an emanation of spiritual and moral force. Well, that doesn't tell me much. So I like actually Cambridge better. It says influence is the power to affect how someone develops, acts, or thinks. That's influence. I remember when I was working on trying to get my master's degree from Liberty, I worked in the office of the president. So I worked there, he had his big office, then there was a lady who was basically his right-hand person, and then like I was shoved off into this little corner and I was like her assistant. So I was an assistant to the assistant. And I remember one day walking into his office, handing, some, handing something to him, then I asked him, his name was John Boric. I said, Dr. Boric, what would you say? I just had this one moment, I thought I'm gonna ask him. But Dr. Bart, what would you say to a young leader like me? What, what advice would you give? And he was working, and he looked up at me for a second. He said, well, go out and find a bunch of people 
and see if you can get them to do something. <laughs> I thought, good talk, Dr. Bark. Good talk. And I left, and, but it left an impression on me because what, what was he saying to me? He was saying that a lot of leadership is about influence. A lot of life is about influence. What's the big deal about influence? Some people say, well, I, I don't really care much about influence. I don't want to be an influential person. Well, you should be. You should want to be an influential person. We're going to talk about that this morning. But influence is important. You may not want to run a country. You know, you may not want to run a company. But you want people to listen to you in your life. You know, you wish that your mate would, you know, listen a little better. Or you wish your kids would listen a little more attentively to you. Or you wish your boss would take your ideas more seriously. Or you wish that you could find a way to repair that relationship that seems like it's always strained. You want influence. Nobody wants less influence. Most people want more. So let's talk about that. I want a couple of applications. Why is influence so important? Why should you care? Well, just a couple of statements here I think will help us see. Dr. John Maxwell says, people quit people, not companies. You know, you've ever been working for a company and somebody resigns from the company. Why did they resign? Well, usually it's not because the company did something. It's because they're really leaving a person. They don't like their boss. They don't like their coworkers. Or there's another person they want to work with. People quit people, not companies. Also, Dr. Phil says, parents, since we're not the only influence in our children's lives, we'd better be the best. That makes sense to me as a parent. My kids have many people influencing them in their lives right now. I realize I'm not the only influence they have, so I'd better be the best. I better be working overtime to influence them more than the media or the world or their culture. Does that make sense? Influence is important from a parental, a parental standpoint. Uh, also, Pastor Ed Young says, jealousy begins where your influence ends. I thought that was a tremendous insight when I heard him say that. If you look at somebody else and they have, and you basically have the same things they do, you don't, you're not jealous of them because you have what they have. But what happens is we look at other people and, and when our influence ends, it seems like their influence continues to grow. And what happens is that creates discontent and jealousy sometimes. This, this issue of influence, it's an inside job. It, it affects us on the inside. Also, your influence lives on after you're gone. I mean, just be, you know, when your heart stops beating one day, that will not be the end of you. And it definitely will not be the end of your influence. The only two things that are going to last forever, God's word and the souls of men and women. So when you influence someone, your influence literally lives forever. In that person that you're influencing. Uh, when a mom tells her child, this is what I want you to wear today, and that child wears it, that's influence. When that same child gets to school and he tells his buddies, hey, let's play kickball instead of jump on the monkey bars, and they do it, that's influence. When those, that same mom meets her husband, the father, for lunch, and they both order the, the, what the waitress suggests, that's influence. You ever ask yourself the question, why won't they listen to me? 
I know you've probably never asked that question. Why won't they listen to me? Why can't I seem to get through? That's a question of influence. You know, some of you born before 1960, can you tell me where you were when you first heard John F. Kennedy had been assassinated? Yeah, you can. Those of you, of course, as we, as we had the tragedy of 9-11, can you remember where you were when you first heard about 9-11? Most of us can. Why? Because those events influenced us. They affected us. They changed us. Well, Moses, one of the most influential people in the Bible, he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. He's revered by people of Judaism and Christianity alike. As a matter of fact, if you go into a bookstore and you, you go into the leadership or business section, you might even find a book on Moses' leadership practices. That's how popular he is, even from secular writers. Recognize that this man was a leader. He had influence. One day, Moses, and, and that's why I thought it was so special when Joel started talking, because Joel and I didn't get together this morning to, to, to do that. And that's another reason I really believe God's trying to speak to us this morning. And Joel started talking about Exodus and how God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. And you remember the story, right? You guys remember some of that story? The people of Israel have been taken captive. They're crying. They're, they're calling out to God. God says, I hear. I hear you. So he comes to Moses and he says, Moses, you're the man. Moses, tag, you're it. It's you. I want you to take the lead on this, and I want you to go help my people get out of Egypt. And like, just like uh, Joel was saying, yeah, Moses is like, who am I that I should go and do this, this great thing? And I want you to notice, we'll pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to what Moses says when God says, tag, you're it, Moses. I want you to keep this thing going here. I want you to do it. The Bible says, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Moses says, God, what if they don't listen? Do you ever say that to yourself? When you know you have something to communicate, when you know that you need to persuade somebody, when, when something's on the line and you really need something to come through and you need God to deliver, do you ever say that? Well, what if they don't listen to me? What if they won't budge? Some of you may be thinking that now. Notice what God says to Moses, verse 2. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. Now, why did God ask Moses what's in his hand? Does God not know what's in his hand? No. Whenever God asks us a question, it's usually for our benefit. God knows good and well what's in Moses' hand. What God wanted to do was to make sure Moses knew what was in his hand. Now, don't miss this. God wants Moses to recognize what's in his hand. Some people, some people say, well, God, I have nothing to offer. You know, I just, I just don't see how you can use me. I've done so many things in my past, and, and I, I've got nothing now, and I don't see how. You, and God says, whoa, 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 I've given you something that you can use. But you've got to recognize that. You have to see it first before you can have God use it. But he asked Moses, what is that in your hand? 
And I want you to recognize your influence. As Joel was saying earlier, this is chapter 1, verse 11. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses did not recognize his own potential to influence someone. So in order to get Moses to see his own potential, God says, in essence, take a look at yourself, what's in your hands. And he said, a rod. Now, Moses had a rod. The rod was a staff, like a shepherd's staff. That's what it was. And the rod, the staff, represented three things in Moses' life. It represented Moses' income because that's what he did for a living. He was a shepherd. It represented Moses' identity. That's who he was. And number three, it it represented Moses' influence, this rod. All right, move along, little sheepy. Move along. That's what you do with a staff. You use it to influence the sheep, to keep them going. That's what you do. So when God said to Moses, what's that in your hands? He's saying, Moses, you've got something you didn't realize you had. You've got this ordinary plain staff, but that's what you've got. It's in your hands. Now I wonder how many of you have truly recognized your ability to influence people. I believe that every person carries around two invisible buckets. We do. And we walk around all day long, and and we have these two buckets, and one bucket has fuel in it, and the other bucket has water in it. And we might walk up onto a conversation, and, and it's an interesting conversation. And when we add our two cents, well, we either, you know, when you walk up on a conversation and, and somebody's talking mean about somebody, you can either add your fuel or you can add your water. But either way, you usually influence that conversation. We all do. Some of you go around putting out fires. Others of us walk around starting them. It's influence. That's what it is, the ability to affect other people. I wonder how many of you have talents that you've never developed because you've not recognized them yet. Do you look in the mirror and see a person that God can use? I hope you do, because you are. You are someone that God wants to bless and give favor and use you in your life to impact other people. That is a truth that I don't think we hear enough, but that God wants to use us. You say, but Brad, I'm not an outgoing person. Did you know that sociologists tell us that even the most shy, introverted people will influence 10,000 people in their lifetime. Even the, the, the loneliest hermit who lives alone, sociologists tell us that person will influence 10,000 people in their lifetime. That's a lot of people. Some of you think nobody listens to me. There's a little poem that, that I've always loved, and I've, and I've read it from time to time as I've been raising my kids. It's called The Little Chap Who Follows Me. It says, a careful man I want to be, a little fellow follows me. I dare not go astray for fear he'll go the self-same way. I cannot once escape his eyes. Whatever he sees me do, he tries. Like me, he says he's going to be, that little chap who follows me. I must remember as I go through summer suns and winter snows, I am building for the years to be that little chap who follows me. I've got two little chaps. 
well, they're not little anymore, but they're, they're, they're about t- as tall as I am. One's taller than me and my daughter. I- I've got three children, and, and I think about my influence on them. And many of you have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and you think about your influence on them. You've got a position in their life to speak into their life. Hey, look at me for a minute. Everybody look at me. for. I want to say something, and this is very important. Listen, do not miss this. If you are above the age of 50 in this room, I want to speak to you for two minutes. I've noticed something in the church, not our church, but in the church around the world, and that is what's called ageism, where you have a generation of younger Christians who basically make older Christians feel irrelevant. They make them feel as if they have nothing to give, nothing to offer. And folks, I want you to know that's not true. God can use anyone at any age. Look at Abraham. Abraham was having children into his 90s. Why? It was a miraculous thing. If you're here and you're above the age of 50, you matter to God. You've got something to offer. Don't you dare let people shove you in a corner. Don't you dare let them push you to the side. Refuse to be ignored. Ask God to use you. It may be different than it was in your 20s. That's okay. It may be different than it was in your 30s. That's fine. At different stages of our life, God uses us in different ways. Would you agree with that? He does. He does. I look at my parents and I look how God's using them now. It, it's really different than the way God used my dad in his 40s. My dad's in his 70s now. Does it matter less because he's older? Goodness, no. My mom still goes to church and they do shoe boxes. They partner with Samaritan's Purse. God wants to use you. You've got influence. Yes, you do. You've got influence. And you need to use it for God. Amen? So recognize your influence, okay? The best churches in the world have a healthy balance of young and old. A healthy balance. We need the energy, the fresh ideas of the young people. But, oh, God, we need the wisdom, the stability, the balance of our more mature Christian brothers and sisters. We need each other. Everyone influences someone, no matter how old you are. Age is not an excuse. Age is not something God wants to put you on the shelf. He does not want to put you on the shelf. He wants to put you in the game, and he wants to use you. Amen? Two, you want to exercise your influence. Use it. Don't waste it. Use it for God and for good. Now, notice in verse 3, God says to Moses, what's that in your hand? He says, it's a rod, it's a staff. Notice what God says. He says, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. I think it's kind of an interesting point here. I just want to point out what God did not say to Moses. He didn't say, Moses, now that you're aware you have this staff and you can use this, Bury that sucker. Just dig a hole, bury it so nobody else can take it from you because it's precious, okay? God did not say that to Moses. What did God say? Throw it on the ground. 
Moses, let go of it. Give it to me. And I'll make something special out of what you see as ordinary. I'll bring it to life. All you have to do is recognize it and then exercise it. Let go of it. God says, do something. You know, Jesus told us that that he is the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. You know what he also said? He said, you and I are lights of the world too. Remember that song, this little light of mine? I'm gonna let it shine. Well, we don't take our light and hide it. We take our light and shine it. God wants to use you to be a light for other people. So God says, hey, throw it on the ground. Pretty cool little miracle. But why did God do that? To show off? No. To get a point across to Moses. He wants him to know, Moses, give me your staff, which represents, give me your identity, your income, your influence, and I'll do something special with it. Here's the catch. You've got to cast it on the ground. You know what would have happened if Moses hadn't done what God asked him to? One million Jews would have died in captivity, having never reached the promised land. You know, it, I wonder how many of our friends are not going to reach the promised land because we're just keeping our influence to ourselves. I say, oh, this is wonderful. Jesus, you saved me. You've forgiven me. I'm on my way to heaven, and I think I'll just keep it private. Well, you know what I say? Now, many other pastors say this. Our faith is personal, but it's never private. It is very much something that we're supposed to share. Our influence. God wants to use you. I want to tell you the third thing I'm asking you to do this morning recognize it, exercise it, and then maximize it. That means do your best to develop your influence. Now, some of you, I don't want you to hear me say, I'm not talking about having power over people. Like, oh man, if I could just get influence, I could get people to do anything I want them to do. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being the person that other people want to follow simply because of who you are. Now, I can't think of a greater example than that than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greatest leader that ever walked the earth. He led with love, and he led led with intentionality, and he led with purpose. I'm glad that we have a senior pastor that does that. It's interesting because I've worked for people in the past that I did what they told me to do because I was afraid. If I didn't do what they told me to do, I knew that they would punish me. Anybody ever work for somebody like that? Yeah. It's not like that with Pastor Tim. You know, if if I don't do what he tells me to do, he still loves me. That's kind of weird. Because shouldn't he, I don't know, punish me? The world thinks that, but Tim's one of those people that I want to be around simply because of who he is. I want to learn how to love like he does. I want to learn how to love like Christ. I want to learn that even the people that do me wrong, I want to learn how to love them. 
I want to learn how to say with Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Boy, when you've reached that point, you've made some progress in your spiritual life. When you can forgive your enemies, when you can love people that don't love you back, wow, wow, that's progress. So I want to ask you to maximize it. Look at verse 3 with me. And he said, God said to him, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. (laughs) Now, I think if I was Moses, I would have too, right? You throw this thing down and all of a sudden it becomes a snake. It doesn't tell us what kind of snake it became. But whatever kind it is, it's the biting kind. And I don't like that. And I don't think Moses liked the biting kind of snake either. So he flees from it naturally. That's his natural reaction. And some of you, that's your natural reaction. For most of my life, my natural reaction to being in leadership was to shy away from it. Growing up, I was not the leader all the time that wanted to be in front. I just wanted to be along for the ride. I I was there to have fun. I didn't care who who was in charge. It It didn't really matter to me. Now, when I got older and I put, was put into positions of responsibility, I had a real struggle because now all of a sudden I had to make decisions. I had to give my opinion. I could no longer sit on the fence of life because, you know, when you're a leader, people need to know what are we doing? Where are we headed? What's going to happen? What do you think? That was a struggle for me for a while. Just like Moses, I wanted to flee from influence. I I didn't want to be the person in charge. I didn't want to be the leader. Sometimes people feel that way. Moses looks at this and he says, I don't want this. (laughs) Moses runs. But but in verse 4, God says to him, reach out your hand and grab it by the tail. (laughs) He says, do not be afraid of what I've had put in your hand. Do not be afraid of influence. Do not be afraid of this staff. You grab it by the tail. Now, I, I want you to know, when I was growing up, we were always taught not to grab a tiger by the tail. Did you heard that before? Yeah. Or a snake. <laughs> Either one. Bad news. So it takes a little faith And really a little courage to do what God is asking us to do. There was a moment in Moses' heart that he had to decide. Am I going to obey God and grab this thing and take the risk? It might bite me. I don't know. He decided to go in faith. God says, Moses, you touch it and I'll transform it. You let go of it. You put it on the ground, and I will use it in ways you never thought possible. That's part of the point. God surprises Moses with with this miracle. You and I, we think we've got God figured out, but we don't. God wants to surprise you in your life. God wants you to take that staff, whatever it is in your hand, your income, your identity, your influence, your gifts, your talents, And he wants you to just give it to him. God says, give me your business. Give me your wealth. Give me your health. Give me your family. And watch what I do with it. That's why God says in verse 5 that they may believe. 
that they may believe. This miracle, Moses, is not just for you. It's for all the people whose lives you're going to influence. Ephesians 5 says this, make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. That means maximize it. And then he says, make the most of your chances to tell unbelievers the good news. Be wise in all your contacts with them. You know, one day, one day we're going to stand before God. All of us will. And part of my job as, as a pastor and as your friend to help prepare you for that day. That's what we do. Part of what we do as pastors is equipping God's people to do the work of ministry and to prepare you for the time when we all stand before the Lord. We want you to stand before God, not with shame, but with faith and with confidence and grace. And God's going to ask us two questions, I believe. Number one, I think he's going to ask us, what did you do with my son Jesus? I think that's one of the questions he's going to ask. And secondly, I think he's going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you. you. You had a staff in your hand all your life. What'd you do with it? God wants to know, what did you do with your talent, your time, your money, your relationships? Did you just use it on yourself or did you try to influence others for good? See, here's the reason you're still around. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for me, living means opportunities for Christ and dying That's better yet. Remember, our influence is not just about us. It's about others. Influence is not just about getting more of what you want, although it's a wonderful part of that. It's also about helping others be who they need to be. So what kind of influence are you having on people around you today? Have you thought about that? Your influence... Maybe, maybe just like, maybe just like those complimentary peanuts, maybe you need to tell somebody, hey, good job. Hey, I want to encourage you. God loves you today. God wants to use your influence. Let him do it. Will you let him do it? You are closer to being the person God wants you to be than you think. You're closer than you think. Let's pray together this morning. 